All right. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to the Rock Church. It is so good for our church family to be together today. Sunday is my favorite day of the week. We are in my favorite place. And as I look around the room, oh, my favorite people are here. Hello, friends. Good to see you all. As you can tell, we are starting a new series called Rhythm. And I would love to start a drum line or something, but I can't do that. I don't have that gift, okay? Um, they don't give me drumsticks or a cymbal for a reason. Uh, because this really isn't about music, um, rhythm. We're going to be talking, looking carefully at the life of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be asking the question, what were his habits? We're going to answer the question, um, what were the predictable patterns of Jesus' life? And, and what would that mean? What does that mean to you and me? You know why? Because it is June 26th. It's summer in Maine. Come on, can somebody be thankful? And I know that it's summer and the start of summer because I saw about 20 of y'all in the entryway all sunburned and beat up. Like, like the Mainers have come out of the winter you know, wonderland and the sun is shining. And, uh, and y'all are sunburned now. But because it's summer. So we're going to talk about uh, what that means for us. How would Jesus spend his summer days. More about that in just a moment. Before I go there, I, I, I do, I really do like to pause and just welcome everyone. I know there are uh, some folks that are here for the very first time. Uh, that's always important to me. I want you to know that's important to everyone around you um, because, because we remember our first time here. And what you've encountered is a group of people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. Uh, they'd love to share that good news with you. They'd love for you to experience what, what we've experienced in relationship with God and in community together. Um, so those of you that are online for the first time or haven't been here in person yet, those of you who are here for the first time, Rock Church, will you give them the biggest, warmest welcome ever? Come on, we're glad that you're here. Welcome to the Rock. And uh, today is today is a very, very special day. Um, I hope that all of you, really, I hope that all of you will just stick around. Mike just said a moment ago that immediately after this service, we'll give a little bit of fellowship time, but about 1230, um, we're going to kick off with that thank you celebration for my amazing bride, Kim, and just want to express to her how much we appreciate 20 years of leadership. Um, and so we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, it's our party, but you're invited, okay? You're, I'd love for you to stick around. We'll have snacks. I think they're doing like an ice cream bar. It's worth staying. But you're going to hear some stories. Um, it's some stories you need to hear. Some of the things that God has done and how he's done it. You just don't want to miss it, all right? So you're all invited to just hang out here afterwards. And we're going to kind of celebrate what Kim um, has been a part of and that we have all experienced the goodness of. So here we go. You ready? Rhythm. We are talking about this new season. Rhythm is about practicing the ways of Jesus in everyday life. And again, we specifically began this today uh, because this is for summer. Summer has a rhythm, okay? Your calendar, your habits, your priorities, um, they're very likely different during the summer than they are at other times, okay? I'm thankful that it's summer. You know why? Because that means it's not September. <laughs> that means there's no school, right? We, we, the, the rhythm of summer, it doesn't include school. <laughs> it doesn't include snow or shovels. Good, right? Um, and, and rhythm of summer for me, um, it kind of, it, it sounds a lot like a jet ski. That's, that's what rhythm, that's how my summer changes. Um, I really like to be on the water. This started a long, long time ago. I, I started off surfing. I loved surfing and water skiing. Um, but now, now it's just the power of a jet ski because I like to be on the water. 
Yeah, not so much in the water. I like to be on the water. So that's kind of that's my rhythm. I like to go out and get on the lake. And, and you, have, you have a rhythm of summer. You have predictable patterns. And, and often what's happening right now, it's even different than it was a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And so what we want to do is in this season, in this season of change, ask the question, what would it look like if the, if the patterns, the habits, the rhythm of your life looked like the life of Jesus? And, and, and is it possible? What decisions could we make to align them? Because that's where we experience transformation. Oh, and I want me to say this about this. This is the goal, right? All of us are seeking transformation. All of us have some area in your life. If you were to sit on your bed late at night and think for a moment about something that needs to change, something that you think, I, I, I could change that, I should change that, that's an area that we want transformation. Well, predictable patterns over time produce transformation. Did you know that? Predictable patterns plus time equal... Oh, I could write an, uh, an equation with this. PP plus T... No, I won't do that. I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. I won't get mathematical. Here's what we're going to talk about. One of the most important rhythms, one of the most obvious rhythms of Jesus' life, and that is this. It is worship. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Worship. Come on, say it out loud and together with me. Talk about the rhythm of... Worship. Yeah, and, and right now you're in a gathered worship experience, okay? Please don't think that worship is just singing or something musical or songs. It's much, much more than that. And it's very obvious in the Bible that Jesus' life, his calendar, his priorities were extremely inclusive of this experience right now. And this is what I'm calling it, gathered worship. Okay, gathered worship. You say, what is gathered worship? Well, just go ahead. Everybody look to the right real quick. Look to the right. Look at the people that are on the right. Wave to the people that are on your right. Everybody look to the left. Look to the left. Wave to the people that are on your right. This is gathered worship, okay? This is when believers get together um, we study the scriptures, we learn through teaching. Oh, and there's so much more. Fellowship, living on mission. This is where we mature spiritually. Do you know how important gathered worship was to Jesus? We're going to talk about that. Of course, there's also our expression of worship. And our expression of worship is not where, but it's how. Now when I say expression of worship, now we are talking about, uh, oftentimes we're talking about singing, uh, we're talking about celebrating, music, clapping. Did Jesus clap his hands in church? Do you know the answer to that question? Did Jesus ever raise his hands in church? Like standing, kneeling, quiet or loud? <laughs> and I'll say this, I have a lot to share about expression of worship, uh, but I'm actually going to save all of that for a whole other teaching, okay? Because we're going to focus today, we're specifically going to focus in on this experience of gathered worship. Because I realize there are so many recorded moments where people's lives were forever changed by the hand of Jesus in gathered, gathered worship. I hope you know that Jesus had a consistent and important habit. Let me show it to you from the Bible. Let me start. Luke chapter 4. Here's what the Bible says. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Have you ever pondered the significance of this rhythm of gathered worship? Not in, your, in Jesus' life. Okay, why, why are you here? Why are you a part of gathered worship right now? Because like, mama told me to, okay? Mama said go to church, I go to church. Him, mama said I don't go to church, I get in trouble, so I go to church. And some of you are in church because mama said go to church. That's not why Jesus went to church. That's not why Jesus prioritized gathered worship. 
And, and again, I want you to understand that Jesus, he was there every week. Now, I'm not talking about the temple in Jerusalem. That's for the high and holy days. We'll hit that another time. Uh, what we're talking about is week by week, Sabbath by Sabbath, Jesus in church. Oh, but in the New Testament, in your Bible, they don't call it church. What do they call it? Anybody know? When they would gather like this on the Sabbath day, they gathered in a building in a place called the... Ooh, you guys are good. Come on, 11 o'clock is Rock Church Best and Brightest. I mean, the answer is on the board behind me. It does, it does say synagogue right there. Uh, but realize, again, that we're not talking about the temple in Jerusalem, but the synagogues, these were these city-by-city city gatherings of believers. And these four bold words at the end of this. He went into the synagogue, four bold words, let's all say it out loud together. He went into the synagogue as his was his custom. These gatherings were essential for Jesus to fulfill his mission, to model this kind of life for us. And really, every one of his followers from that day, those who went with him as disciples, all the way up to today, followers of Jesus have shown remarkable consistency and commitment to this. So I want to show it to you from the scriptures because you will find in your New Testament this occurs over and over and over again. So I'm going to start in the book of Matthew, okay? The very first of the Gospels. Um, those of you that have your Bibles, you can open them um, into the book of Mark. I just want to show you this real quick in Matthew, and I'll just show you over and over through the scriptures. Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says this, that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. They went to the synagogues. What day would he go to the synagogue? He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he would preach the good news. Hey, we preach the good news. Um, he was healing every disease and sickness among the people. Hey, that's what we all want. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. Book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Oh, let me ask you, those of you that brought your Bibles today, go ahead and open to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, because we're going to stay there, um, gain a lot of insight from that. If you have your electronic glow-in-the-dark Bible, now's the time. Go ahead, use your version app, get your digital Bible, so that you can see these scriptures. Because I want you to know that this is the life that Jesus lived. Mark chapter 1, okay, page 1 of this very important book. The Bible says, they went to Capernaum. Wait, who's they? They is... Come on, come on, church. I want, you to, I want you to read your Bibles. I want you to be studying your Bibles. They is Jesus and his disciples. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And what did he teach? The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the people of the teachers of the law. The people were like, oh my gosh, Jesus is such a better teacher than Pastor Eric. Hey, and it doesn't hurt my feelings to say that, okay? And Jesus walked in here today and was like, I got a few things to say. I'll be sitting on the front row with my notebook, okay? I take notes. I take pictures of the, the big idea, main points he puts on the slides. Come on. And, and this is what God, do you know this is what God has planned for us today? Example after example. Turn the page. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says this. Another time, another time Jesus went into the synagogue. Are you getting the idea that this is important to Jesus? Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Let me just pause for a second because I think it's important for us to experience this. Even as, even as we gather like this, our gathered worship, if someone had a, had a condition like this, 
This would be so known to everyone in the community. It would be so obvious because it would have so much impact on his life. This man who has lost complete use of a limb. You realize there's no medical solution in that age. There's, there's no prosthesis or prosthetics that could be take and fix that. Like this man's condition affects everything about his life. And I think that it's realizing that this person's burden or his suffering would be obvious to everyone. Can I just say it? If you're having a bad day, don't stay home. Okay, this guy, he could have woken up and been like, oh, this is such a difficult day. I have such a difficult life. This guy is glad he went to worship that day. Look what happens next. Jesus is in the synagogue and he says to the man, stand up. He says, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and his hand was, say it out loud, it was completely. Oh, aren't you glad you went to worship that day? The guy's like, I'm so glad I was at church today. I'm glad I didn't stay home or have pancakes or do laundry. Like, what a day. And so I want to give you a few big insights already, what we see in the scriptures. Hey, gathered worship, gathered worship, it's a place of community and help and healing. That's what's supposed to be happening. This is why this rhythm is so important. A place of community. I started in Luke chapter 4 where it says that Jesus, as was his habit in Capernaum, went in the temple. They gave him the scroll to read. They said, hey, you read from the scriptures today. Why? Because he was consistent. He was trusted. He was known in that gathering. You know, we've been saying it week by week. This is a place where you should know and be known. This is a place where the people around you shouldn't be strangers and foreigners. It should feel more like family. This is a place of gathered worship. It's a place of community. Uh, not just in a big group like this, but as we gather in small groups, we meet all throughout the week. Not just one hour a week, but meeting in our homes, meeting for coffee, lunch, going to the lake, firing up that jet ski for the summer. Like, this is community that, that out of this extends into our whole lives. That's how Jesus lived. But the rhythm and consistency of the gathered worship is unmistakable. And look what it accomplishes. It brings help and healing. Man, I, I know that a lot of times throughout the week, I look forward to this moment because somehow God in his sovereignty chooses so many times to wait for the gathering of the believers to accomplish something special. I mean, I wish this guy had been healed on Wednesday or Friday, but there's something special that God did it in the gathered worship. And that happens, that happens for me. I mean, praise God by his grace. I, I don't have a lot of physical ailments um, and, and a lot of that kind of issue, but, but boy, something can happen in my heart pretty easily. I, I can be in a place during a week where, where my mind runs wild or where my thoughts are conflicted. Um, relationships may be moving towards the breakdown lane. Can we be a little honest in church? Does anybody show up needing a little help occasionally? Anybody in the house like, yeah, like if there was something going, like I, and you know what? So often. Sometimes it's during the expression of worship and a time of singing, God will deposit peace in my heart. But so often it's in a conversation. It's in a conversation with someone in the hallway who just speaks a word of encouragement. Someone who says, hey, Pastor Eric, I've been praying for you and I just want you to know. And, and you, you speak blessings and God uses that to bring help and healing to my heart. That's what happens in gathered. Do you know that God has real purposes as we gather like this? Oh, there's more to it. I can't leave this point. You know what else? Gathered worship is an opportunity to live on mission to live on mission every one of you every person hearing my voice you have a purpose to fulfill god has a plan for your life at jesus mission he said hey i came to teach i came to so that people would know to teach and to preach the good news he was accomplished he was living on mission 
during gathered worship. Do you know you and I should be too? God's given you a mission. Do you know what your mission is? Everybody in the room know your mission? Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said to every follower of him, every disciple, every man, every woman, I'm going to send you on mission. I want you to go into all the world and make, I bet you know the answer because we've been talking about it for like 12 years, go into all the world and make what? Make disciples. disciples, okay? Now discipleship, discipleship demands that we go. Everybody say go, that we you got to go. Go means find people that are not followers of Christ and share the good news with them. That's really easy to do in Maine. You do not have to go very far because uh, that's your neighbor. Uh, some of you, that's your family member. Uh, that's certainly your coworkers, right? Like they're all, all around us in Maine. We live in a place where we have the privilege of sharing the good news. You don't have to go very far. Go make disciples teaching them to obey baptize it. Oh, oh, it's not just going. You need to go, but you also need to grow. Part of discipleship is that we grow. Not just go, but say it out loud, but also to grow. To grow. And, and that means that you're helping other followers of Christ become more mature in their faith. Look around this room. These are the people that God has. You can live on mission. Right? Let me show you. This is what Jesus did. Oh, in fact, let me highlight it this way. We should expect this. As we gather like this, we should expect to grow in Christian maturity. Grow. Oh, 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 oh. Can we just step on some toes for a little while? Can we just make things kind of uncomfortable and step on someone's toe? If you're sitting next to someone you like, just kind of step on their toe a little bit. Go ahead. Just let them know you're there. Come on, step on some toes. Come on, step on somebody's toe. Why don't I want you to do that? Because it's uncomfortable, isn't it? You don't like it very much when somebody starts stepping on your toes. Why? Why? Because it creates something that's slightly uncomfortable. But you know what? We don't grow unless we're confronted. We don't mature except someone challenges our immature thinking or our incorrect ideas or even our inappropriate actions. So I want to ask you, do you want to grow? Do you want to be spiritually mature, the kind of person that as God looks out, he goes, that person honors me. Oh, that, that woman is seeking to grow into the fullness of what I have planned for them. That person, how many of you want to be mature, spiritually mature? Will you raise your hands? Not for me, but for God. Just say, hey, this is why I'm here. I want to, okay, I want to be mature. Yeah, I do too. My hands are up, okay? I want you to know Jesus used the gathered worship time to bring spiritual maturity, to challenge immaturity and to change ungodly habits and perspective. Do you, have the right, do you have the right attitude about what's happening when we gather like this? Let me take you deeper into the insights, because this is right here in the scriptures. This is why I'm in Mark chapter 3. Go ahead in your Bibles back to Mark chapter 3. Remember, I started in verse 1. Jesus went in the synagogue. A man with a shriveled hand was there. And here's what happens next. The Bible says this. Some of them, some of the people that were in the room, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Looking for a reason. Isn't it funny? Whatever you look for is what you will find. It says that there were people in church, church people, Christian people, they were looking for a reason. Now, I don't think any of us here would say, I'm looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. 
But some of us seem to be looking for a reason to argue with other Christians. Some of us seem to be looking for a reason to be against another disciple. Some of us seem to be looking for an opportunity or a reason to separate from community, to break from a small group, to, to leave. what Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, I wish it said they watched him closely to see if he would heal and stopped right there. That would be enough. Okay, let's just watch Jesus and see if he will heal someone. Because if he will, I probably ought to listen to him. But they weren't just concerned about what he was doing. They wanted to see what day he would do it on. Can I tell you that is real immaturity? That, that is authentic spiritual ignorance and arrogance. Do you realize it's possible to be in a place with a community of people who have a common goal of honoring God, making a difference, reaching the community around them, and looking, just looking for a way to be offended? Those lights are so bright. Why is it so loud in here? Are they going to talk about money again? Why do I, you want me to join a group? Wait, a concert? I have to pay with my money? If you look for a reason, I assure you, you will find a reason to be offended. But if you're looking for a community of faith, if you're looking for people who are longing for the Spirit of God to transform us, who say, hey, we're, we're on a journey, okay, we're a little messed up today, I still got some room to grow, but I trust and I have hope for a better tomorrow, oh, that's what you're going to find. Well, the next part hurts. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. It says the people were looking for a reason to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus doesn't pull any punches because his goal is to mature us. So Jesus asked them a question. Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Look at the question that Jesus just asked. On the Sabbath, what's legal? Do good or do evil? Is this a hard question for anybody? I mean, this is a gathering of people who are seeking God. Does anybody not know? A hundred percent of the people in the room know the answer to this question. It's good to do good. Jesus isn't testing their knowledge. He's revealing the condition of their hearts. This is what happens in true worship. In our gathered worship and in our expression of worship. It reveals our true hearts. Because worship is a decision to put God first. And not our priorities and not our way. Do you know what will happen day by day, week after week? As we gather, there is opportunity for offense every time. Over and over, someone says something. I don't like what they said. I don't like what they did. I don't like that they didn't say anything. I don't like what they didn't do or did do or won't do. On and on. Do you realize your spiritual enemy is at work to contradict Christ and to pull apart his family? Come on, church, I've been praying for you. The spiritual enemy is at work. And sadly, this habit of worship, okay, there has never been a greater season of attack on gathered worship and commitment to community like we've experienced over the last two years. Come on, 2020, 2021, what a mess. What an attack on unity. And I want to I congratulate you just for being here, for pushing through. But it has been a hard season. And I'm not just talking pandemic. I'm not just talking politics. We live in a culture of division. 
Okay, and we're in a season. And Jesus says, you know the answer. Okay, and here's the point. We may know the answer, but how to live it out can be difficult. How to live it out does take some maturity. It's possible for people to know the answer, but in arrogance or in ignorance end up hurting the very people that they intend to share good news with. That's what happened with the hardness of these people's hearts. And we're in a season, right? Our culture is finding every way it can to fragment and to divide, to create division and breakdown of a family like this and a community like that. Come on, we live in a culture. Gender issues, sexual identity, sexual practices, culture is fragmenting. The Bible, God said, we, you say, we know, we know that God, he created humans and humanity. He made men, he made what he did it on purpose and to bless us. But how to live in compassion and kindness. How to take the message of God's goodness and meet our culture and people where they are. That gets challenging. We're in a season. Uh, culture is shredding again. Okay, a Supreme Court decision. We thank God for an outpouring of grace that says, you know what? We need to protect those who can't protect themselves. We need to love. We need to love lives that God has initiated in a miraculous process. But can we do it with kindness? Can we show up with compassion and realize that, that people are wildly divided, but we need to be the kind of community that says, hey, we gather and we find unity, even as we struggle through differences, but we can find it, not in ourselves, not in my way and not in your way, but in God's way. Come on, can, do you, how many of you believe the church should show unity and community in ways that only God has for us? Let's bring that as a gift to our world. Maturity is one of the goals that, oh yeah, we should expect to grow into Christian maturity. And I want you to know, in the synagogue that day, there were two groups of people. There was one group of people that saw the miraculous work of God. Their hearts were inspired. They grew in relationship with him. They better understood the compassion of God and his ability to meet people with his power. They, 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 their hearts rejoiced at seeing someone set free. And there was another group of people that were extremely angry. And ladies and gentlemen, every one of us is given that choice. This is what free will is. It allows you to enter a place like this and lean into God and receive his grace and forgiveness. And carry your questions to him and realize that all of them will not be answered in any one experience, but I'm going to keep pursuing. Or you can resist and separate. That's what happened to some of them. And I just want to caution us. You and I need to have the guts to stick around even when it's uncomfortable. Because that's actually where we begin to change. Let me use an example. Let me use an example of the expression of worship. You remember I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on the expression of worship because I was focusing, I'm focusing mostly on our gathering of worship. But our expression of worship, again, talking about uh, how people sing or shout, how we celebrate God. Luke chapter 19. Open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. I have just a few verses I want to show you specifically how, God, how Jesus teaches us there. Luke chapter 19, the context, it's the Sunday before Jesus is crucified. This is the Sunday that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's known as Palm Sunday. 
Okay, I, I, know, I know it's not April, but please try to connect with the fact that Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Jesus would be crucified, he rides into Jerusalem and he is wildly popular. They're having a parade. They're celebrating him. But they don't have banners. They don't have balloons. Um, they don't have Air Force jets to do a flyby. Which is what I would recommend. I mean, that's the way I would do it if I were going to celebrate and have a big parade. They don't have any of that. They have, the Bible says that they have these branches. They have like palm branches. And they can hold them up in the air. And they can wave them. So I need every person here to go ahead and just raise your hand. Just raise your hand up high. Every person in the room, raise your hand up high. And they would wave them. They would move them this way. Move your arms this way. Come on. All together, together so you don't hit your neighbor. Then back the other way. Come on. Move it the other way. Let's do this together. We can do it. Everybody in the room, come on. I need every hand. If your neighbor's hand isn't up, look at them and then them know that you're not glad that they're not doing this everybody's hand waving is everybody loving this is everybody very excited about this no no you're not many of you didn't even raise your hands you're like terrible thing Eric don't do that some of you disliked it so much you're like I'm not coming back next week that was awful and the problem with that is that Jesus actually liked that there will be things that are uncomfortable for you that we do, we do, because he commands it, because, because Jesus is correcting us or because his word teaches us. And worship is a place and a time where our hearts are transformed. Oh, waving hands. Let me go back. Waving hands. I want to, I want to show it to you exactly. Um, again, here, thinking about things like, like clapping our hands, raising our hands. As we gather here, we, we have lights, and, and there's haze so that the lights are actually visible, and, and they can be seen to do what we want them to do. The, you realize lighting in church nowadays, it's the modern-day stained-glass windows. Those of you that are remarkably, remarkably traditional, and you're like, I wish we had a stained glass window. Listen, we have moving stained glass windows, okay? That's what, that's what the, the haze and lights do together. We can create a new stained glass window for every song, for every experience. It's an amazing opportunity. Um, <laughs> it gets a little loud in here. You know, the Bible says in heaven there's peals of thunder. Don't wor no worship on earth get louder than worship in heaven, okay? So, there, Jesus, there's all this worship going on. In fact, let me show it to you. Luke 19, 37. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd began joyfully to, two words, say it out loud, joyfully to praise God. And how did they do it? Two more words. They did it in what? One more time. Just the same way they did. They did it in... And the reason we praise God is because we deserve it. And they were waving their hands because he'd done great things. The miracles that they had seen, they were carrying on to the point where it offended the observers. It says that the Pharisees and the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Turn down that music. Put your hands down where they belong. You know, shut off the machines. Like, whatever. Rebuke these people. And Jesus didn't rebuke those who were worshiping him. He rebuked those whose hearts were so hard that they were unwilling to take an appropriate posture. Now, to be true, the Bible says there are many different ways to express worship. Oh, I said, I have seven different words in the Hebrew language to teach you about worship. Seven words from the Old Testament that are translated to just two words in English, praise and worship. The Bible says there are times where worship is very reflective. It's very meditative. There are times where worship, where the only appropriate posture of worship would be to stop moving and start kneeling because it's an appropriate posture before a king because we're going to live like Jesus is king. The Bible says there's times where we ought to shout. There's times where we ought to extend our hands, maybe to raise our hands like a sign of surrender. 
Hands up as an international symbol. Maybe it's time to extend them as an offering of intimacy. You can't hug someone except you extend your arms, and maybe God just wants to know that we love him that much. Maybe he wants us to clap our hands because he's done so much. He's been so good that the way we celebrate, come on, if anybody has something to celebrate, if anybody thinks that God is good, will you just say, Jesus, you're good, and you've done so much. So please don't think that worship is only the expression through singing or clapping. It's, it's the gathered worship. It's our expression of putting him first. So let me give you, let me summarize our ideas. I gave you a lot of big ideas. We covered a lot of ground today. Gathered worship is essential. It's an essential place to live on mission. See, God wants you to fulfill the purpose and plan you have for, he has for your life. One of those purposes is to, to be a disciple who makes disciples. How am I going to make disciples? How am I going to help someone else grow in their faith? Again, gather with the people here. Those who are teaching in our children's ministry right now, they're living on mission. Those who are caring for our students and leading middle school class, they know they're living on mission. And maybe you need to get a part of, we're called to reach Maine with the good news. Jesus said, I'll build my church. That's his mission. What would it take for you to align your life and your priorities, your rhythm with his? That worship... Worship is an essential place for us to mature. Now, I want to ask you this week to, to read your scriptures. Read in the New Testament. Try and find every time in the New Testament where it mentions Jesus going to the temple or the synagogue. Gathered worship. You can come back next Sunday and tell me how many you found. We'll compare notes. But you'll see how many times he confronts immature, incorrect Thinking he rebukes unkind actions. Why? Because gathered worship is intended to mature us to the people that God has always wanted us to be. And maybe some of what's lacking in the authenticity of our culture is that we don't have the same habits and rhythm he has. What would it look like this summer to create this habit of worship that Jesus had? Of course, I said worship is consistently a place of healing. I want you to know, this is for me, me personally, Pastor Eric. I don't merely show up here in this gathering. I don't merely show up to express my worship to God, to, to tell him how great he is. Oh, I love to do that. The Bible says, if you don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. And that's happening. The heavens declare the glory of God. Everything in creation shows the order and the power and the love of our God. Oh, but I'd like people to hear you and I say it too. I show up to praise him. But I want you to know, I show up in a gathering like this to let him know that I still have some needs. That I still have some broken places in my heart where I'm asking for healing. And I hope you do too. Do we have the humility to show up saying, God, I, I want someone to pray for me. Every Sunday, I tell you, we have people every Sunday ready to pray for you to meet whatever need God, that only God can heal. You show up looking for that. I do. I hope you do too. You know what? Worship is also an opportunity for us to say I love you to God. Oh, this is what you've been waiting for all morning. This is what you expected for the last half an hour. You're like, when are we going to get to express our love? When are we going to get to tell Jesus we love him? Oh, it's absolutely what we should do in times of worship. And so that's what we're going to do as we close our time together. I, I've set aside, we have these last few minutes reserved to, to take this final expression of worship. And we're going to sing a song where the words say, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. And we have every reason to. We've seen that he's such a good God. He's so personal. And he wants us to grow and, and become and reach the purpose and, and the potential that he's deposited. Oh, Jesus, we love you. 
But I want to offer one, one opportunity, maybe give you this invitation sometime during this song. And I ask you just to change the words and make it personal. That somewhere during these next few moments, you'll stop reading what's on the screen and start saying what's in your heart. And you just say the words, Jesus, I love you. I love, make it personal. Maybe you'd even want to raise your hand and say, oh, it's me. It's me, I'm the one. I'm I'm not raising my hand for anyone in the room. I'm raising my hand for an audience of one. This is why we worship Jesus. I love you. And let this become an expression of worship. And I've been praying that you'll have an experience of his love back. Will you please stand together? I just want to give us time to experience the love of God and express our love to him. Will you join with with our worship team as we give Jesus the praise he deserves?